Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris. Uh, Great to have everybody with us today. Uh, Thank you for tuning in and joining us online, as always, and uh, staying engaged. Fill out that online connect card, all that good stuff. Leave a comment. Um, So thankful for you guys as well, and uh, and thankful for all of you. Um, It's going to be a great day. Hey, uh, one other kind of announcement I want to make, just keep in the back of your mind, put on your calendar, uh, is our night of worship. Uh, we did a night of worship back in November. It was just so well received. It was a great, encouraging evening. Just extended uh, time of worship, and uh, we're going to be doing it again uh, Friday night, March the 18th. And I'd uh, love for you to come and be a part of that. It's going to be a great night as we prepare ourselves uh, and our church uh, for Easter, uh, Easter weekend. So I want to begin this morning. We're in church, right? So I want to begin uh, today by having a little bit of a confession, a little confession this morning. Raise your hand. How many of you are terrible? terrible at remembering people's names. I mean, you're just, wow, okay. I, don't, I, I work at it. I'm not great, but I'm pretty good at it, and I, I, I work at it. But man, you guys are terrible. Um, but uh, you know, in, in some, for some of you, even though I just got finished telling you my name, you know, if your life depended on it, some of you have already forgotten my name, haven't you? You have no idea who that guy is. Anyway, um, but maybe you know the deal. Maybe you're like at Costco, and uh, somebody comes up to you, and they start having a conversation. And it's obvious you're supposed to not know them, right? You're supposed to know their name. And so you know, they, they call your name, and you're, you're, you're having this conversation, and you're just like shaking your head, and you're you know, continuing on, you're smiling and laughing, and then they leave, and maybe your spouse is nearby, and they come up like, hey, who was that who you're talking to? I have no idea. I really don't know. You know, maybe it was somebody I went to school with, maybe it was uh, your coworker or something. Um, but anyway, now, by the way, so if it's a guy that you run into and uh, you don't know their name, you know, you, if, you can get by with things like, hey, man, how's it going? Or, you know, hey, big guy, you know, what's happening? You know, we kind of do that for guys, but that doesn't work too well with a woman, especially coming from a man. Hey, girl, you know, like, I, like that just doesn't seem appropriate. Or, like, you'll really be in forever trouble if you go, hey, big woman. I mean, like, it's just not, not the same thing whatsoever. But, but we need to work at that, right? Get a little bit better. A couple of weeks ago when we kicked off uh, this Names of God series, we actually had everybody wear name tags as uh, we kicked off this series. It was Life Group Sunday. So that was kind of cool. But, but a person's name, a person's name is important, right? Now, this is especially true of God, of God and the names that God you know, reveals to us in Scripture, his names. And so in our series that we've been in uh, called The Names of God, so far we've seen that God goes by the name of Elohim. Remember that? The creator, the eternal God. Uh, last week, Adonai, uh, the Lord and master of all. And uh, the name that we're going to look at today is uh, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Hebrew name. And it means this, if you're taking notes. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. God, our provider. Now, that particular name for God is found uh, in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham takes his son Isaac up on the, the mountain, Mount Moriah, to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And it's one of the most moving, heart wrenching stories you'll find in the Bible. 
So let me give you a little bit of background of what's going on here. Abram, at this time, uh, was called by God uh, when he was 75 years old to literally uproot and move his family and all of his belongings and, remember, move to a land to, to which God was going to eventually show him and give him. And God promised him, God made a covenant with him that the entire world would be blessed through his offspring. Now, the problem with that promise at the time was that he and his wife, Sarah, they were childless, okay, didn't have any children, and they were very, very old, very old. So at age 75, he moves away with everything he had, everything he'd always known, everything that was familiar, everything that up to that moment had been home, and uh, man, that took incredible faith. Maybe some of you have, you know, come to Charleston, right? Moved here, didn't know a soul, didn't know anyone, new job, new career, new place. It takes faith to do that. Now, 25 years later, Abram is 100, Sarah is 90, okay? After a lot of ups and downs, the son of promise, you know, the, the child that, that God promised was finally born. And uh, God gives him the name of Isaac, which means laughter, laughter, because that's exactly what both Abram and Sarah did when they found, heard the news that they're pregnant, okay? Some of you, maybe in your 40s, found out you were having a child. You might not have laughed. Maybe you cried at first. I'm not sure. Um, but we're, I'm sure that's what all their family and friends did when they first heard this news, that at, at age 190, they're going to have a baby. Now, God also changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And so with this miraculous birth, Abraham now in his old age is finally able to see just how you know, God can do this. How, how this promise of you know, blessing the entire world through his offspring might happen. So, man, life is good, okay? But God is not done yet with Abraham. He still had some things that he wanted to teach him, okay? So all that leads to Genesis chapter 22. And I want you to notice how the chapter opens. It says, sometime later, God tested, circle that word, underline that word, tested, Abraham. Now the word tested there in Hebrew literally means to test completely through a demonstration of great stress, to be tested. Now and that particular word is used all throughout the Old Testament of God testing the faithfulness and the faith of his people. In fact, listen to Deuteronomy 8.2. It kind of reveals why God does this, okay? It says that God led his people into the desert for a specific purpose, it says, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Wow. Now, keep in mind, you know, that God does not tempt us, okay, the way Satan does. He tests us in order to bring out the best, to help us grow in our faith, to do the things it says right here, to, to see what's in our heart, you know, to see whether or not we'll obey him. Somebody once said that temptations often seem logical, while testing and trials seem very unreasonable. I kind of agree with that. You know, I, I think on some level, for the most part, we, we get, we understand 
uh, temptation, right? We get it. You know, evil's real. We all have weaknesses. We all have a propensity towards sin. We have struggles. Satan's there. He wants us to fall. So we get all of that. But it's the testing. It's the trials. You know, for those that are faithful. That's hard to grasp sometimes. Hard to, hard to understand, to wrap our minds around. And to this point, Abraham's life really had been a series of tests. And he passed some, but he failed others. Now he's about to face the greatest test that he'd ever faced, okay? The likes of which he had never encountered before. Now, before we go any further, though, I don't want you to miss this one obvious point. Here it is. We are never exempt from the challenge of faith, and we are never too old to be used by God. Did you hear that? We're never exempt from the challenge of faith. You know, from taking that next step of faith or attempting something great for God, we are never too old to be used by God. In fact, whoa, 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 wait a second. You know what? No, 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 no. Let's change that. Here's what I want you to do today. And you might even make a little note right there next to too old. I want you to fill in that blank with whatever excuse you might have used that God can't use you. Sure, maybe it is too old, but what about this? You're never too young to be used by God. You're never too dumb, okay? You know, but there's some of you who think, man, I just, I just don't know enough. There's no way God could ever use me. Or how about this? You're never too poor. You think you don't have enough. There's no way God could use somebody like me. Or what about this one? This one's pretty common. You're never too damaged. You see, some of you think your past, your mistakes, your history, it disqualifies you. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. And maybe, just maybe, that's exactly why God brought you here today. For you to hear loud and clear that if you are not dead, God is not done with you. He's not done with you. If you're still breathing, he's not finished with you. You know, he's, he's not finished teaching you, growing you, wanting you to step out in faith and attempt great things for him and to be used mightily in his kingdom. So with all that in mind, let's continue. Genesis 22, one through two. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now I want you to notice the phrases there that he uses. Your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. It's almost like God saying, Abraham, are you listening? You know, I, God is making it very clear, leaving no doubt who he's talking about. And more importantly, He's putting his finger on the fact that Isaac meant everything to Abraham. And it's almost as though God were saying, Abraham, you know, we've walked together for a long, long time now. And now you've got that son, the son that, you know, was promised, the son that you prayed for, that you always longed for. So tell me, Abraham, is this son more important to you than your relationship with me? 
Now, the three words that he uses here, the three verbs, take, go, sacrifice. Man, that must have uh, taken Abraham's breath away. I mean, once again in Abraham's life, toward the end of his life, he is being commanded to go somewhere he'd never been and to do something he'd never done. You know, when Abraham left Ur years earlier, he was sacrificing his present security. At least that's what he must have felt. And now God seems to be telling him to sacrifice his future security. And there's absolutely no doubt what he's being asked to do here. A burnt offering would have meant a, a total sacrifice the, with the offering being completely consumed by fire, signifying the complete dedication of the one making the sacrifice. I mean, there's no way that that offering is getting up off, off that altar. And I also want you to notice that, that God gives no explanation here. I mean, there, there's just this expectation that Abraham is going to obey this staggering command. And so often that's what faith is. It's a willingness to follow God, to be obedient when you don't get the immediate answers to your questions. So when Abraham received this staggering test of faith, he doesn't argue with God. In fact, if you read this story, there's not one word of objection recorded in the entire text. He simply responds with faithful obedience. Look at verses three through six. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now stop there for just a moment. So when the test comes, you know, Abraham immediately makes preparations and obeys. There's no delay, no second guessing. He gets up early, saddles the donkey, takes two servants, gets Isaac ready, cuts the wood for the offering, and he goes for the place that God told him about. Now, the journey to Mount Moriah covered about 50 miles, would have taken about three days to get there. Can you imagine what must have been going through Abraham's mind as they traveled? And as they got close to the mountain, notice again what Abraham said to his servants. Look at the end of verse five. We will what? Worship. We will worship. Everybody see that? Did you know that that's the first time in the Bible the word worship appears? First place. Now, I don't know how you define worship, but evidently, this has something to do with how God views it. You see, at its heart, at its heart, worship involves a willingness to surrender everything to God to surrender everything to God, holding nothing back. 
I mean, this is great. This is awesome. I love when we gather together and, and we sing, we lift up hands, we clap. And that's, there's no doubt that is a part of worship. But at its heart, it's this willingness to surrender everything to him. It's obediently giving to God what he wants and trusting him to provide whatever it is that we need. Now, the other thing I want you to be sure to catch here is the fact that Abraham has the faith to believe that both he and Isaac are gonna be coming back after they worship. Notice the pronouns he uses there. We will worship and then we will come back. Abraham is making preparations. He's prepared to sacrifice his son and yet he says, we'll come back. Now how in the world do you explain that? Well, Hebrews 11 kind of fills in the blanks for us. Listen to this. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. There's that word. Abraham, who, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Remember, he took him outside, showed him the stars in the heavens. Remember that? Abraham reasoned, that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Now, th there is no way of rationally explaining this. You know, the, the sacrifice of your son, your one and only son. But Abraham was prepared to do it because God said so. And God would somehow work it out to keep his promise to bless the world through Isaac, even if it meant raising him from the dead. Now, what's so stunning about Abraham's declaration of faith is that in the previous 21 chapters of Genesis, there is no mention of resurrection. There's no example of someone being raised from the dead. And yet somehow Abraham knew that God could do it, even though he'd never seen it done before. He knew that God could do it. Look at verses seven through eight. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Listen to this. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. <clears throat> I mean, can't you just imagine how that question must have just cut through Abraham? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Notice, God himself will provide the sacrifice. The sacrifice will come from him. Now, the word translated there, provide, is the word for Jireh in the Hebrew. And it really does have this very beautiful, rich meaning. It's a, it's a general word used for uh, visual perception, and it can be translated um, to see or to show, but it also carries with it the idea of being provided for, provision. In other words, God sees beforehand what it is and how it is that he's going to provide. It's a beautiful word. In other words, Abraham might not have been able to see it yet, but he knew that somehow God would see to it, that everything would be provided and everything would work out. And he was able to worship because God would provide. 
And he trusted God enough to continue to obey by presenting his son for sacrifice. Look at verses 9 through 10. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Now let me ask you a question. How old is Isaac when this takes place? So the answer is we don't know. Now, I know if you grew up in church, you've probably seen little pictures, and typically Isaac is pictured as a very, very uh, young uh, child. Um, really, the Bible doesn't tell us. Some commentators think that he might have been e- even in his uh, early 20s. What we do know, though, is that he could have easily gotten away if he wanted to, but he didn't. Evidently, he trusted his father as well. And, and this is not play acting, by the way, for Abraham. I mean, the Bible says that he took the knife to slay his son, and maybe with the knife possibly in the air, God interrupts. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And once again, Abraham just responds as a humble, willing servant. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of of his son. God's timing is incredible, isn't it? I mean, Abraham looks up, and there's a ram caught over there in the brush. Coincidence? Not on your life. I I want you to notice something else that you you might miss. It was, the Bible says that the ram was caught by its horns. Now, that was important because it would signify that this animal wasn't bloodied or beat up. Leviticus 22.21 requires that sacrificial animals must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. That's important for another sacrifice we'll talk about in just a minute. Abraham goes over, gets the ram, and sacrifices it as a burnt offering. Notice what it says. Instead of his son. The animal took the place of Isaac. It was a a substitute offering. Again, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, as a result of all of that, verse 14 tells us, so Abraham called that place, listen to this, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so that's what it means. Again, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. At just the right time, God came through for Abraham. Loved ones, listen to me. God is still our provider. And he always provides the right thing at the right time, at the right place. He's never late, 
He's seldom early, and he certainly doesn't cater to our timetable. In fact, God tests us. He does. He often tests us to, to stretch us, to grow our faith. Remember to, to see what's in our heart, to see if we'll be obedient. And we're waiting on him to provide. He's waiting on us to surrender. Now, this is important. We don't have to fully understand everything in order to surrender, but we do need to fully trust. We don't have to understand everything to surrender, but we do need to fully trust. It reminds me of the story I heard about a, a house that was on fire. There was a, a little girl trapped in her upstairs bedroom, and as she leans out the window, um, her father, who was on the ground, is, you know, shouting up to her, jump, I'll catch you, jump, I'll catch you. But his daughter was afraid. She said, Daddy, I can't see you. To which he shouted, that's okay. That's okay, honey. I can see you. I can see you. And so she jumped to safety, not because she could see, but, but because she trusted the voice of her father who told her to jump. She was willing to let go. And it was in her letting go that she was ultimately provided for. See, that's how it works. Surrender always precedes provision. Surrender precedes provision. And so the question that we've all got to ask ourselves today is this. Is there anything in my life that I'm holding on to today? that I'm not willing to surrender to God. You know, maybe somewhere on your outline you ought to write this little question down. What's my Isaac? You know, what do you need to surrender to God? It might be your career. It might be a relationship. It might be a really valuable possession. Maybe it's your retirement. Maybe it's your college plans. Maybe it is a child or a spouse, or a parent. Whatever it is, are you willing to put it on the altar and surrender it to God? Surrender precedes provision. Think about it. Abraham was willing to give up that which was most important to him before he saw God's provision, because he was committed to worshiping the blesser, not his blessings. What about you? What are you committed to? Worshiping the blesser or his blessings? Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, God never really wanted Isaac to be sacrificed physically. He didn't need the sacrifice of Isaac. He wanted him to be sacrificed in Abraham's heart. And listen, after Abraham encountered Jehovah Jireh on Mount Moriah, all of God's blessings were released in that man's life. 
And so many of you today, it's as though you are missing out. You are, you are missing the joy of seeing God's blessing fully released in your life because you are tenaciously clinging to and clawing to that which to you has become most precious. We, we argue with God that we can't possibly, you know, put our career or our family or whatever it is on the altar because that is the only thing, right, that we have of value. That's the thing in my life where I have found meaning and purpose. That's where I found my worth. And that is where the problem lies. You have taken ownership of something that was never yours in the first place. What is it in your life? You see, God wants us to know him as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. But first, we've got to make sure that we have settled this issue of preeminence, of priority. Seriously, who or what is the most significant thing in your life? most important to you? What occupies first place in your heart? You see, it's only when we're truly willing to sacrifice what's most important to us that we discover that God is most important. And then in return, he provides for us in a very profound way. The Bible says he will give you everything you need and more. Listen, when you go through a season of testing and you can't see a way out, remember that Jehovah Jireh, he sees. When, when your month outlasts your money, God will provide. When you're feeling overwhelmed, God will provide. When you are feeling troubled and afraid, trust in Jehovah Jireh. Let me ask you, do you have the courage to pray a prayer like this? This is a, a prayer that um, A.W. Tozer once wrote, listen to this. Father, I want to know you, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long, which have become a very part of my living self, so that you may enter and dwell there without rival. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you have the courage to pray that kind of prayer? Now, as we close today, I, I wanna make sure that you see the picture behind the picture of this story, okay? Of Abraham and, and Isaac. I don't want you to miss, and I've already alluded to it a little bit, that this is actually a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Isaac carried the wood on his back for the sacrifice. Jesus carried the weight of his cross as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem on the way to a hill called Calvary. Both 
Isaac and Jesus, the Bible says, were obedient unto death as they submitted to the will of their father. Both Isaac and Jesus were bound, were tied up in preparation for death. Are you ready for this? This is amazing. Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah, where this story takes place, it is where the temple was eventually built in Jerusalem, the very place where the blood of the ram soaked into the wood with Abraham was the place where countless sacrifices would be made in the temple. Abraham and Isaac traveled three days to the mountain where where Isaac's life would eventually be spared. Jesus was buried for three days before he came back to life. Isaac learned about a substitutionary sacrifice when the ram was killed in his place. Likewise, Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, gave his life for us in your place, in mine. And finally, God's provision, listen to this, it is always near, always nearby. The ram was in the thicket, close enough for Abraham to see. Well, according to Psalm 75, 1, God's name is always near. All you have to do is call out to him. Don't you see? The story of Abraham and Isaac is a picture of, of the ultimate sacrifice that God would provide through his one and only son, Jesus. Hebrews 10.10, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. One more picture I want you to see today before I pray. When... um, when Abraham experienced Jehovah Jireh, he made an altar so that he would remember. Well, we've been given an altar to help us remember that God is our provider as well. For us today, it's called called communion. Communion. The Lord's Supper is a, a table It's an altar of remembrance. You know, when Jesus took the bread and and the cup, he said, do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We're remembering that that God has provided, that, that we, we should have been on that cross. We should have been the sacrifice. We deserve to die. But God provided the perfect lamb to die in our place, our substitute. And so communion, you know, the Lord's Supper, it's a time for us to look back in worship for what God has provided through his son Jesus. But it's also a time to look ahead in faith, you know, to be reassured that God, our Jehovah Jireh, he will continue to provide. You know, I say it each and every Sunday, The only requirement for this meal, the only requirement for communion is that you are a forgiven sinner. The question is, are you? Are you? Have you surrendered your life at the the altar? You know, what is it in your life, that thing that has become your Isaac, that thing that you have been withholding from God? And maybe this morning, 
you have never yet truly surrendered your life to Jesus in faith. Listen, he has provided a sacrifice. We're all sinners in need of a savior, all of us. And the good news is that God, God knew that we would blow it. He knew that you would. He knew that we couldn't be perfect. But Jesus was unblemished. Jesus was perfect, and he went to the cross as a sacrifice for your sin and mine. And so if you would just place your faith in him, surrender your life to him, then he takes your place. He's the substitute. You, you, you and I who deserve to die don't have to. We'll live for eternity because of our faith and what Jesus did for us. And listen, don't come to this table today, communion, thinking, yeah, but you know, I'm just not good enough today. I've had a bad week. Listen, that's the point. You're not good enough. We've had not just a bad week, we've had a bad life. We need Jesus. And he's, he's provided the way. But you have to come to him in faith. You have to receive it. You have to accept it. And you can do that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, that you are our great provider. You have provided. You will provide. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, the substitute, the, the, the sacrifice who took my place, our place on the cross. And listen, if you're here today and you are ready to accept, personally accept what Jesus did for you, that he paid the price, that he was willing to, to be that sacrifice for your sin. Just pour your heart out to your Father right now. Surrender to your Father right now in faith. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. I, I have blown it. I'm, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, God, though, I believe, I believe that one has been provided. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he lived on this earth in, in a perfect way and that he went to the cross for me and my sin. I put him on that cross, God, my sin. And as much as I know how and as much as I understand, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And I worship you today, God, for that. I thank you for it. I remember it. I need it. I receive it. I believe it today. And I ask Jesus not only to be my Savior, but to be my Lord. I just want to follow him for the rest of my days. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.